this week on Dig Me Out. I think it got played on the station despite my reviews. I turned it in and said, <laughs> I turned it in and said, this, suck, this sucks. And they went, well, we're going to play it anyway, so we don't value your opinion very much. Tim and Jay review, Regretfully Yours by Super Drag. Who sucked out the feeling? Who sucked out the feeling? Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again... Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 157, our second episode of our fourth season. And uh, this is, I'm calling this year the year we finally get to shit we've been talking about. Pardon my French. It's a long title for this year, but uh, stuff we've been, we've been getting around to uh, this year or that we're going to get around to this year. Um, that we've been, you know, bands that we've talked about referenced often. First uh, episode was Remy Zero, a band that we, you know, we previously mentioned and talked about in the, in the uh, episodes. And this is a band that has come up a few times. Whenever we talk about power pop, they get, they, well, not all the time, but occasionally they get mentioned. And I'm talking about Super Drag, Jay. And uh, Super Drag is an interesting band in terms of our histories with it. Because um, I know you're a fan of Super Drag. When did you first get into them? Uh, you know, I, I got into them on this record, um, somewhat through the, um, the single and I bought the, you know, the two records after this, I didn't really get fall in love with them until in the Valley of Dying Stars okay. where they kind of took more of a hard rock, uh, turn with this. They still had the pop sen- sensibilities, but they left some of the retro, aspects of the band behind a little bit and uh just became more of a, a straight up rock band gotcha um i first discovered uh this band uh thanks to the uh the wonderful world of wfal falcon radio our college radio station back in the 90s i was assigned this record to review for the radio station and I hated it at the time, believe it or not. What? Yeah. So here's what it was, is that Sucked Out had been getting some like buzz bin play. Mm. And I really didn't like that song, especially mm. the chorus, the way he, he delivers that chorus. Um, you know, I was into like Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains. And here's this guy like sarcastically screaming who sucked out the feeling. And I'm like. F you, dude. Like, and then I had to review the album, and I didn't like it at all. So I think it got played on the station despite my reviews. I think it was one of those where, like, I turned it in and said, <laughs> I turned it in and said, this, suck, this sucks. And they went, well, we're going to play it anyway, because we don't value your opinion very much. Yeah, I did some reviews, and that happened to me, too. Yeah. So like, why, why am I doing this? Right, exactly. Well, CMJ says it's going to be popular, so we're going to play it. Uh, needless to say, though, my opinion changed uh, throughout the years as I started to listen to their other albums, prompted me to then pick this record to want to go back to it because this was a record that I had very strong feelings against, and I wanted to see, uh, you know, if I returned to it, what would it what would it bring to my ears this time around? I, I might have listened to it between then and now, but I know I listened to the other albums. Um, Head trip in every key and in the Valley of Dying Stars were definitely more played more than than this one. I don't really I know they've had some other records, but I don't think I've listened to them as much as those two records. Let's get into uh, let's get into some history of Super Drag. History of the band. 
They formed in uh, 1992 in Knoxville, Tennessee. They were originally, well, before they were super drag, they were called The Used. And it was John Davis, um, who's the lead singer, who's actually playing um, drums in uh, Brandon Fisher's band, who's the guitar player. Davis had started writing some songs, and a friend of the band named Don Coffey, who would um, eventually be in the band, uh, said, well, why don't you should be, you know, basically singing. And Tom Pappas came in, and he he, uh, went from guitar to bass, and they basically moved around in the band, and sort of Superdrag was born out of uh, rearranging the band from what they used to have, what what they were previously. So the band uh, released three vinyl singles and then an EP, The Fabulous A-Track Sounds of Super Drag, or A-Track Sound of Super Drag, 1995. Um, one of their um, songs made it to onto a CMJ compilation. They released uh, their first album in 1996, which is this one, Regretfully Yours, on Elektra Records, and Sucked Out was a minor hit on MTV. They would follow that up with uh, Head Trip in Every Key in uh, 1998. That was followed by a, a sort of a rarities called Stereo 360 Sound and the 7, inch, seven Inches and Unreleased, in, also in 1998. And then the Senorita EP in 1999. They returned with a full length on Arena Rock recording in 2000 with In the Valley of Dying Stars. Um, they released uh, some other one-offs for uh like eps and whatnot uh the rock soldier cd is a five song uh ep that was released on arena rock in 2000 and then they released uh greetings from tennessee in 2001 which was well with some songs that were re-recorded and some covers such as the bastards of young and uh, you really got me and then they released uh their Split with the anniversary in 2001. In 2002, the, the album Last Call for Vitriol. Then a B-Sides and Rarities in 2007 called Changing Tires on the Road to Ruin. Um, after a separation, in uh, they actually separated in 2003, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, in 2003, uh, after John Davis had had a couple of years of trouble with alcohol, he decided to basically clean up and the band separated um, he went on to do solo stuff along with other band members doing solo stuff. But they got back together and released in 2009 the album Industry Giants on their own Super Drag Sound Laboratories label. Band reunited for a, uh, I guess, a couple of shows. They they have a, uh, Davis and Fisher are in the band called Lees of Memory right now. And they are re, they re-released uh, Regretfully Yours on vinyl. Not re-released because it never came out on vinyl, but they they released it on vinyl in 2012, and then Head Trip and Every Key is supposed to be released on vinyl, uh, possibly this year, uh, next year. Um, So be on the lookout for those. So that is an abbreviated history of uh, Super Drag. They have quite a few like EPs and singles and stuff that they get to, but that's basically it for um, Super Drag. Uh, if you would like to suggest an album for us to review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and go ahead and suggest away. So, Jay, let's get into this record. Regretfully yours. We both mentioned having a history with this band. I mentioned that it wasn't such a, a good history. And I'm probably wrong. 
I was probably wrong then, and I can admit that. Opening right up with the slot machine. This is sort of like perfectly in my wheelhouse now. <laughs> it's kind of amazing how your t- your taste can change. As you and you know, mm-hmm. it was uh, mentioned during the Remy Zero review that we did last week uh, in the comments about whether twenty year old and thirty seven year old versions of yourself would uh, enjoy the music the same way. Well, uh, I can mm-hmm. tell you that uh, you know, twenty one or twenty two year old me who listened to this record and hated it is completely different than the person than the you know thirty nine year old. Ugh, I hate saying that, but. Uh, version of me who thinks that this is a, a pretty damn fine record. disparaging this album or this band uh, back in uh, 1996 and I apologize for anyone who was at that music department meeting where I said this was a terrible record and we shouldn't play it Um, this actually is a bit atypical uh, of the rest of their sound it's kind of a bit more straightforward it doesn't have the pop uh, sensibility that I think a lot of the record has but it's still a good rock song Um, it's really short Mm -hmm. it's only like two and a half minutes um, it's got a cool sort of driving uh, guitar riff. I don't think it really starts to pick up until track two, but Jay, I'm interested in what you think. Yeah, it sounds like a song that you would, uh, you know, as a band, start a set with. You know, I can imagine seeing a band of Bernie's or something, you know, small little club, and this is kind of a tune they would start off with, which is cool. Uh, just, I think, one thing that's interesting about this song is it doesn't really have a chorus. There's some cool chord changes that occur that... I don't know. I guess you could argue maybe it's a chorus, but I, I think they're just you know verses with some chord changes. Mm-hmm. But they just they have an they, they have such a just strong sense of melody um, that it almost doesn't matter that they don't have a chorus. So right. it's I think it's a lesson, and you don't have to adhere to some like songwriting format to create melodic, memorable songs or even uh, hooky songs. It, it's it's you know. It's it's more complicated than that, and they kind of do it in an original way with this tune. With this tune, and they carry it. It's nice because it carries right into the second song, Phaser, which is where I think this, the band starts to shine. They combine the the catchy vocal melody with what I think is the high point of the record, um, the guitar playing. There's just so mm. many tasty guitar licks on this record, um, from song to song, and this one has them where they do this like I don't know what to call it, but it's like a, a lead. After at the ends of various uh, um, measures, where it's like dan 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 dan, super catchy, just like gets an earworm mm-hmm. in your hair in your head, where you just mm-hmm. constantly hear this that riff. One of the, I think it's one of the best songs on the record. But what do you think? I agree. I think there's um there's more dynamics here than the first song. Um, it still has the uh, the signature tambourine that is through a lot of this record. Um, it still does that driving guitar part, you know, from time. to where they have the two fuzzed out guitars really just kind of like locked up together. Um, we're like, nah, 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 nah. you know, you sort of get this like pulsating 
you know, underbelly with this him delivering the melodies over top. Um, I think the thing that's interesting about this tune is that vocally it, it's a little bit different. His delivery is just a little bit different than I'm, what I'm used to for him. It almost sounds like uh, at times it has like a Morsey kind of quality to it. Like it's a hmm. little croonery or like, like lower register. Um, right. Which is kind of interesting for him. I, I think it sounds good. It's just going back and listening to it now, especially being more familiar with their later stuff. It's sort of uh, one of those moments where I'm like, is that him singing? And okay, that, that's kind of cool. I can tell it's his voice, but it's just a different kind of a... Uh, Right. A little slightly different character. when he enters into what I would call the John Davis territory is track three with carried uh, great mm. opening to that song. They just boom. They're right into the song with his vocal and his guitar and the guitars and drums and everything. It sounds more, it's in his pop or power pop range that he sings in for the majority of the record. And what I'm used to with him again, cool guitar riffs throughout this. Um, they do this like, uh, what is, I don't know what we call it. It's this little back and forth guitar riff uh, for the chorus. Uh, it's just like two notes, but it's super catchy. It's when he's singing the uh, "Everybody knows it's true." Oh yeah, oh yeah, part. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it's amazing to me that this record came out when it did because it sounds, I guess, so unlike anything coming out in like 1996. Uh, I know there were some spurts of you know power pop here and there. Uh, there's just like really nothing comparable to it in, in this time frame. I don't know if you felt like that. Yeah, this is a really sharp song. Like you said, it's him. It's John. It's a John Davis song. You know, this is what um, the later era stuff is a lot like. Um, just great power pop comes right in with the hook. Cool guitar melodies, uh, lots of live energy. I think it's timeless sounding to me. You know, mm-hmm. this this. There's some other songs on this record where, you know, you kind of get that it's a mid '90s, early '90s influence, and from a guitar standpoint. But this is one where it could be a song that just came out now. It could have came out in the '80s. Could have came out in the '70s. Could have came out in the '90s. Um, it's it's pretty pretty timeless. Uh, so track four is Sucked Out. That's the single that, uh, if you're familiar with Super Dragon anyway, you're probably familiar with this song. Interesting use of dynamics in this 
song because when they actually get to the chorus and he sings the sucked out part, it's just a vocal and bass line essentially, uh, which is pretty ballsy to go to that stripped mm. down of a of a vocal yeah. for the and and part for the for the chorus. I'm still I'm still not sure if I like his vocal when he actually goes to the chorus. Uh, when he's when he, the way he screams, he oh, sucked out the come feeling. Come on, I love I that. I I definitely like the song. When his and voice I, breaks. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I kind of like that. it. I don't know. It still weirds me out a little bit. I, I think what I appreciate more you than know, anything is what the song is about, which is essentially like who sucked out the feeling of like writing music is essentially what he's yeah. talking about. Like he had yeah. this dream to play rock and roll, and now is the fun of it is being sucked out, most likely by a major label. Yeah, it's definitely got that that '90s bittersweet kind of vibe to it. I, I love I love the vocal. I think that that's so cool when you can hear it's just him by himself. And you just hear him be able to do that, like control it, where like he you know he can push it to the point where he knows his voice is gonna break, mm-hmm. and then that kind of becomes that becomes part of the signature part of the song. You know, the ability to do that. I think is a little bit though in the in the overall story of this band. I think this song is. Um, probably not a great thing for them i I think it um it's so retro you know it's so buddy holly or you know what i mean it's it's so kitschy Mm -hmm. um that i think a lot of people probably came in wanting a whole record of that and um there's a couple other songs where they get close to it but uh for the most part you know especially the song after it uh, yeah it's not really the same not not really the same sound at all so you know, I think this is a song the band is known for. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it paints a very good picture of what they're about completely, and I think it almost makes them seem like a novelty band or something, like a uh, Smash Mouth or a, you know, uh, what were some, well, I'm trying to think of what was a, there was another band that had like a really retro sound in the late 90s, Fast Fastball. Fastball, yeah. Like all uh, of those bands, it kind of like lumps them in with those bands, which they're not like that at all. No, no, not at all. Uh, track five, Cynicality. Um, this is, I think, a really good demonstration of when you can do a lot with a little because they essentially have like three guitar riffs or, or guitar parts for this song. There's the opening, which is basically like two notes played back and forth. And then there's a verse, which is a like a chord progression. And then the chorus is, again, just like two notes. It's just back and forth, two rapid notes. So, mm. it's yeah, it, it's and it's amazing because each of them has a very defined you know melody over top of them, and and they have a different, they almost have like a different energy to them. The opening is kind of frantic and um, broken, and uh, when you get to the chorus two note part, he repeats this vocal melody over and over again. I think it's this is happening, and uh, has a much different feel. Um, just uh, this is where they like the songwriting i think sort of really starts to shine through um because they're able to take very simple pieces put them together and create something fairly unique and interesting uh where it sort of sounds retro and and i don't know like british invasion ish but has an edge that is very 90s and heavier they're balancing those two influences pretty well on this on this song it's all about energy i mean this song is just it's a three three and a half minutes of 
full on, you know, laying into your guitars and trying to pull out of them using, you know, not a ton of chords and a lot of structure that way and really just trying to use energy and like how you how you lock up as a band and play together to, mm. to convey the different parts of the songs and the sort of the overall feel which i think it's a pretty stark contrast from sucked out which is a lot more like you know think about the contrast between the two songs it's like that was a lot more like somebody sat down and was like okay we're gonna play this part we're gonna start here and then we're gonna end here and then there's this build and then i'm gonna do this and you know sucked out almost feels like heavily scripted and manicured and edited compared to something like this where it's just like just guys laying into their instruments um you know what i mean and creating right. a song out of it it's very simple but the result is um i think to your point actually pretty sophisticated you know what i mean yeah i i agree track uh track six destination ursa major i guess carries some of that over taking simple ideas and but making them uh work you know they have that just like there's a big bend they do it like three times mm-hmm. very simple idea but uh, they incorporate it well. And then when they get to the chorus, or maybe it's the pre-chorus, um, again, they're doing just like a simple like two-note thing, but they drop the heaviness and the loudness. And if they play it clean, it's not really two-note because it's, it changes based on the, where the uh, bass line is. Uh, but it's a back-and-forth little guitar part. Really cute, cool use of dynamic. You know, at this point, like the band's just kind of... I think you're getting the... The point, if you're not familiar with Super Drag, is like, this is a band that knows how to write songs and write parts uh, that are unique within each song so that you're not like just getting a four chord progression in the verse and then a four chord progression in the chorus. Uh, they're making each part wholly unique and interesting, uh, which a lot of bands don't bother to do. Yeah, this song is a good example of all of the things that this record does. If you're in, if you were to condense, I think this whole record into one song, it might be this song. So um, you got the bendy, they get they get they got the guitars that are kind of driving and fuzzy, but like they do some bend stuff, um, where kind of the pitch shifts a little bit, gets kind of weird either through a lead or through two guitars playing together. So there's just like dissonance going on. top a lot more dynamics on this song than the previous one um, in terms of like you said getting a little quieter going to the two chord or picking part um, and this is a song where the solo um, they do this I think through the, a lot of the through the rest of the record at this point is um, the solo ends up you know they mimic the vocal melody 
um Mm -hmm. which is always a it's that's just always a cool thing you know what i mean like if you don't have an idea for a guitar solo uh, um when you get to a part where it's like okay we you know this feels like we should do something here just just come up with a cool way to play that you know refrain that melody that's in the in the in the um, verse of the chorus right um on guitar you know it always kind of works and it's a it's just a cool element to bring everything together uh whitey's theme is uh one of the few instances where they do like a kind of a build um and they do it in a really cool way you know the song starts out with just sort of like a a one guitar um playing a guitar riff and then you kind of hear off in the one of the channels in the or one of the speakers this riff come in sort of buried in the background and then the two guitars start playing them together and the drums come in they build it more and more and then the drums get louder and the guitars get louder and it's just a really cool build and and build up to the uh, start of the verse um sort of the complete opposite of carried where they just are boom they're into the song and this is i think a more i guess you'd say for them a more relaxed song it doesn't have quite the uh, aggressive energy of, say, cynicality. Um, but it's still, you know, once they get into the that guitar riff, it, I mean, the energy, the drums pick up in the tempo and stuff like that. But uh, the, the verses sort of tend to um, lay back a little bit. But uh, again, this has got some really, really tasty guitar stuff going on. Yeah, I think that they drive that riff in, almost into the ground a little bit too much. Like by the end of the song, you're kind of tired of hearing it. Um, I think it's an awesome riff. It's just a little too much of a good thing. Um, and I think it's good. Like It's missing a chorus, but it's good in that that, that riff, it almost could be a hook. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, I almost wish that it, it was rewritten in a little bit more concise way. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, the longest song on the record. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where you're going. Um, Track uh, eight, Truest Love. uh, Them playing around with uh, dissonance. Mm, Shoegaze almost. Yeah, almost shoegaze. Has a a definite, you know, that tremoloed dissonant guitar going on uh, that uh, is reminiscent of like a Swerve Driver or, uh, you know, some of those other bands, which is a cool different influence that you weren't really expecting probably when you're listening to the first half of the record. The chorus is a lot more dynamic than you'd hear in a shoegaze song, though. Oh, yeah. Like, Definitely. you know, it lays into that, that you belt out that line, and um, there's a lot more, um, you know, just the, the music kind of comes down. and But musically, uh, those guitars, for sure, super fuzzed out, um, almost almost to the point of being, like, just white noise times in those verses uh track nine what if you don't fly this is a, a a fine song it's actually tied with carried for one of the shortest songs in the record or, or, or the shortest shortest song i think it's them and they're most comfortable it doesn't get overly loud it has the energy his vocal's pretty good but it's i don't know it didn't really do a lot for me your opinion i, I think it's a good companion good companions who sucked out if it wasn't the b-side to sucked out it probably should have been right um it's definitely got the retro kind of that thing you do the wonders kind of feel to it yeah uh, i like the sound of the song i like the verse of the song i like the 
idea. Uh, it's just missing the chorus. You know, if mm-hmm. you're going to write a song this fun, you got to have a killer chorus, and it kind of doesn't have a killer chorus. No. So I think that's the biggest flaw with it. Track 10, Garmin Bosia, which is a small country in, uh, oh, I don't know where it is. It's a little bit different for them. It's uh, they're, It's got this, I don't know how to describe it. Um, the guitar riff, uh, again, it could have been a shoegaze if they had a, a, a I don't know that 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 lead that he's playing at the beginning of the song, it's uh mm-hmm. he kind of drives it. I think if he put a little delay on there, it would have been on, an, on another Swerve Driver record or uh or or something along those lines. Um, but then they completely eliminate the guitar into the verse, and it gets a lot quieter uh, before they get to the chorus where the uh, tambourine comes in, like you mentioned on most of the songs, and the guitar riff returns. And that guitar riff sort of stays throughout most of the song um, until they get to the end. There's like this uh, ascending guitar riff that's kind of cool um, throughout the end of it. But I kind of felt like, uh, you know, this is a 90s album, so there might there's a little bit of filler, I think, on this record. I mentioned that What If You Don't Fly wasn't necessarily one of my favorites. It's a fine song, but it's, it's not necessarily not something that they're not necessarily yeah. doing. Um, this one's another one where I kind of felt like, ah, eh, this would have been better, maybe better as a B-side or a, you know, on a rarities comp. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the best part about the song is that you notice the bass finally on the record. Um, it has like a, uh, I think it carries the melody through a lot of the um, the tune, which is interesting because the the album's so, you know, guitar driven, guitar focused. Um, the bass does enough underneath that it kind of stands out and you have this um, really cool layer of, of melody underneath these guitars that are wailing at times and you know the ones doing like I don't know if it's a tremolo bend or, or what it is but you know there's that little bit of a pitch bend going on as the two guitars kind of like you know are driving over top of this really melodic bass line mm-hmm. now for uh, as unimpressed as I was, because I'm I'm hard person to impress, uh, with nine and ten, track eleven and a kicker. This is a definitely a kicker, uh, kicking the pants after those two songs. Um, cool guitar riff to start the song. Uh, clean guitar in the verses. That um, it's good melody over top of it, and then he just rips into the chorus. Nice and short, and uh, it's one of the highlights on the record for me. I, I would have put it I, closer to the front of the record. Uh, I agree. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird being track 11.
probably it might be my favorite song on the record um it does a it, it's the right combination of kind of that retro 50s rock and roll uh early 60s rock and roll thing with um modern fuzz you know and energy it's very smart it's very short um it has uh, some really nice harmonies in the chorus which they don't do a ton of they do some harmonies but you know not and they don't go overboard with them mm-hmm. uh, they work really well on this really cool riff um that they enter the song with and then they reprise and it's one of those songs where um you don't necessarily think of it as being short it just feels like right and then when you go back and look you're like oh wow it's only two minutes and 30 seconds like okay and well, there, there's so much that happens in that two minutes and 30 seconds you know yeah so many good things that uh you kind of it's a little shocking that it's that that, that uh brief speaking of shocking <laughs> track 12 nothing good is real this is the first time the band i would say goes slow i don't necessarily like the band in this mode he doesn't have as much to do with his vocal. I like when his vocal is on top of everything and sort of propelling mm-hmm. the song forward. And with this song, he's sort of playing back. He's sort of, you know, letting the song dictate his melody and it doesn't necessarily work as well for me. This this definitely sounds like a song that could have been left off the record. How about you? I agree. I think there's maybe a mix of this record um, that you could do that this song might have a place on. Uh, obviously, I don't. I think there's no re- there's absolutely zero reason to have 13 songs on this record. Yeah, if you got it down to between eight and ten, this song could in one of those concepts maybe find a place. But uh, I agree, it's not a it's not a good an ideal fit for uh, this band and what they do well. And the last track, thirteen, I actually. It's funny when I was listening to this song again. I was like, this song sounds like an encapsulation of the whole record. Like. Thank you for listening to our record. Now we're going to throw out some <laughs> some riffs that we previously used through the record. It needs like a voiceover over top of it. Yeah, like, thank, thank you. you for joining us. On this record, special thanks to Ben Mott. Or not Ben Mott, that was <laughs> zero. But uh, whoever whoever was produced this record, thank you to So-So for producing. Thank you for So-and-So for mixing. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny I'm playing it as you're doing that. It sounds perfect. You need to do yeah. mix that in the show like that. I'll, I'll try to do so. But yeah, I mean, this is this was a fine closing track. I think if you had, I think if you kicked off like three songs and got this down to ten, I think it's an awesome record. Uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think I think this um this song sounds it's it's like to me it's like track uh it's like the first song on the record. It's like uh, mm-hmm. not a great from a songwriting standpoint, but it just sounds like a really good live band just yeah. wailing. I mean, just laying into a song and just having a blast. And um, I'm sure live this sounded great and they had a fun playing it. And I think that energy uh, comes across on the, on the recording of it. So from that aspect, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to listen to, but I agree. It's uh well, let's get to our, what we think about the record. Well, I already tipped my hat when I said spoiler alert. Uh, I'm at a worthy album with this record. I'm at 10 songs. Uh, there's probably three that I'd kick off that uh, I think that it just, you know, just runs a little bit long. For a, for an album or for a, or a band like this, I need it short and sweet. 
They're at 42 minutes, roughly, for this album, and I think you could get it down to, like, 35, 34 minutes, and it'd be a damn, damn tight, fine record. So uh, where are you at, Jay? Totally agree. Totally agree. Right. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I like this band so much, and uh, I like all the songs. I just don't feel like they're all necessary. So I would be mm-hmm. super happy with nine to, you know, somewhere around nine songs. Cool. Well, if you agree or disagree, you can, of course, head on over to our Facebook page, our Twitter, or our uh, website and chime in with your thoughts on Super Drag and their album, Regretfully Yours. Of course, you can leave us some feedback over at iTunes, and you can request your own album for us to review at digmeoutpodcast.com on our request a review page. Uh, That's it for us this week. We'll be back. Uh, I think we're going to be back next week. And uh, Jay and I will have something to say about um, possibly an album from the 90s. That's... uh, (laughs) Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but there's a good chance it's going to happen. So uh, for Jay, I'm Tim, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Mm